Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I appreciate all of you that are connecting with the podcast and sharing it with others. I see our listenership continues to grow, and that's because of you and our podcast guests, and I hope this helps bring us together as the same human family. Um, my guests are really the heroes of this podcast for braving, stepping forward, and vulnerably sharing their stories. And um, this is kind of a sacred space, and often some of the most spiritual experiences I have are listening to people's stories. Um, you're welcome. You can't donate to this podcast, but you can go on and rate it and leave a review, and that helps other listeners connect it with it. But that's the only sort of ad I'm giving, a 45-second ad. Now we'll get um, to the podcast. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Will Edgel. Welcome to the podcast, Will. Hey, how's it going? It's great to be here. Um, Will is in my home. I think he lives in the area. You live pretty close to here, don't you? I do, I do. I'm just about five minutes away. I remember running into you as you were running. I, I drove by and honked my horn. I don't <laughs> think I, you saw me. At 61, I'm sort of like unaware. I think if a car hit me, I'd notice, but sometimes people wave and honk. And <laughs> in the morning, I'm kind of zoned out of life, but keep honking and waving. <laughs> I, will. Um, I will eventually, you drive a blue car, I think. You told yep, me to yep, watch for the blue, blue car. So I go on early morning walks often before sunrise, even in the summertime. And it's sort of my long prayer after I start the morning with um, a little bit of scripture reading. Anyway, Will was on episode 78. This is an episode way in the 600s. So that's a long time ago. Um, Will's uh, earlier episode, you can check it out if you want to. It was recorded in July of 2019. And I believe you were about 29 then, showed, shared your story as a gay Latter-day Saint. And four years is a long time for anybody. Um, but in your 20s, moving into your 30s, um, being LGBTQ, often a lot can change. And in some ways, maybe some stuff has changed with Will, but some hasn't. But we just felt it'd be good for Will to come back on the podcast. And I think he's going to, I'll turn it over to him pretty quickly, but I think he's going to update us where he is. Um, as far as his relation with the church, if he's dating or not dating, he's dating men, dating women, and I'll just leave that up to him. And, and then Will has, um, professionally is a, a wellness coach. Is that the right term for what you do? Yep. Yep. Wellness coach. And he, he, um, primary focus, I don't know if that's primary or just one of his focuses, releasing shame. And I just, Getting shame out of people's lives, for all of you that are doing that, is a good thing. But I love that you added the word releasing. Mm -hmm. And I hope you talk about why you added that word. I think it's a really thoughtful word to add to releasing shame. And I just love the visual imagery of just all that shame leaving us. So we said a prayer, and we just hope this podcast will be helpful. I think especially if you're LGBTQ or an ally. Wills came out at 16. He's 33. As I visit with him before the podcast, he's an unusually mature man with a lot of experience in this space. And it just worked through much, so much personal growth and his relationship with Heavenly Father and releasing probably shame in his own life. I just sense, he doesn't want me to say this, but I sense he's in a really good spot and in a spot where he is and continue to help other people, especially LGBTQ people, get to a really good spot emotionally so that they can be in a better position to make good decisions going forward. So this podcast may be helpful to you as you just listen to Will share principles. Is that okay for an introduction? Love it. Thank you. All right. You're up, Will. All right. Uh, yeah, I think it'd be good to 
provide a little bit of a, a catch up from not only from the last four years, but maybe just a, a bird's eye view of the last 16 years of when I first came out as gay. So yeah, I came out as gay uh, as a teenager and uh, quickly um, got into a relationship, moved to San Francisco, and that was a fun experience. And uh, I did leave the church at that time. And um, that relationship I was in ended and I decided I wanted to go back to church. Um, well, I actually felt led to go back to church. And um, a few, few years later, I ended up serving a mission, also led, felt led to do that and had to get special permission to be able to go. But that was a really amazing experience going to um, Canada, Edmonton, Alberta mission. Um, and then I uh, came back, I was 23 and, um, you know, I'm 33 now. And so just looking back at the last decade of my life, um, highs and lows, which are normal for everyone. Um, in some ways, I went back into the closet uh, when I came back to church. I just didn't really tell people. I wasn't ashamed of it, but it just didn't come up. So I didn't share. But um, I noticed in different settings, like at work and different areas of my life, people would want to know about my dating life, um, why I don't date more women. Um, and at you know, the last 10 years, I have been open to dating women, um, but not very successfully. And I didn't put much pressure on myself. It just had a level of openness. Um, total, probably five or so girls that I dated. Um, longest relationship was probably two months, so not very long. So um, for the most part, I've been single for the last 10 years. And uh, I would say I, I've, been, um, I've, I've been happy. I've been um, satisfied with life. Um, I feel very fortunate because I have a, a strong drive to work and I can get really um, excited about work and different uh, things that I'm learning. And, and especially um, four and a half years ago when I started my, my wellness business, um, that really uh, took a lot of my energy and a lot of uh, excitement in, in my life. Um, kind of backing up a little bit. Um, so about seven years ago, I moved to LA and that was, so this is before I started my business. Um, I got a job out there and that's kind of when I decided to um, no longer separate my identity as being gay and also being a member of the church. And so um, I started making friends out there who were kind of in both circles, gay and Mormon. And I was actually asked to speak in sacrament meeting out in the LA ward. Um, and that was a big deal for me. It was like, oh, my identity as a gay Mormon is merging with, you know, the active member um, that everyone perceives me at. And so that was nice to kind of bring, um, bring those pieces together. Um, and since then, I've been pretty involved in one way or another in this, um, the, the LDS and, and gay space. And so I've been involved with organizations um, that are in this space. I've spoken at conferences. Um, I was on that podcast four years ago. 
and um, I have a Voice of Hope video. So all that was um, kind of a new awakening of embracing both parts of my life. And yeah, so another big update um, that I'll go into now um, started when I um, felt inclined to lead a a monthly music night. So this was back in 2019. I just I remember sitting in church and like rapidly taking notes down on this idea that I had to create this like gospel study slash music night. So once a week we would study the Come Follow Me curriculum. And then once a month we would do these music nights and People would bring food as potluck, and they were just great gatherings of different people. And um, it was open to everyone, but just because of the work that I've done within the gay community, um, the primary population was the gay community. They 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 were showing up, and it was really cool. It was really neat, and um, it grew pretty quickly. And so I did that for the whole year of 2019. We did that, and um, it was a really great experience. And, and that was kind of the beginning of this idea of like, ah, I can bring people together and this is really fun. Um, but during that year, um, I met someone, a guy named Eric, and um, we became really good friends. And, um, and we met at the, the potluck music night. He, he performed a, a musical number and I was like, oh, that was amazing. And so we became good friends. Um, and things just kind of, we grew close quickly and they started to escalate into romantic territory. And at the time I wasn't dating guys and I was like not interested, um, or, and kind of scared about that. And, and, you know, he, I don't think was looking for that as well. And so we, um, we had to, um, part ways um, just after a few months. And that was really sad because I, um, I really, I really liked him and loved having him as a friend, but um, we thought that it would be best if we, if we weren't friends. Fast forward to the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I think it was May, 2020. And I recognized um, just with my family dynamics that I really couldn't be hanging out with a lot of people. I needed to simplify my social life. And I um, made a list of different people that I wanted to make sure that I, you know, reached out to and got to spend time with. And it needed to be a short list because I didn't want to put my family at risk of being exposed to COVID. So Eric made the list <laughs> and uh, he's like, you know, I really want to stay in touch with him. So I'm going to reach out to him and see, see what's going on. And uh, yeah, we reconnected and things um, kind of fell back to how they were. And we just really hit it off and became really close really fast. And um, yeah, long story short, uh, Today, two and a half years later, um, we do consider ourselves boyfriends, and that's been a journey in and of itself. Um, you know, we toyed around with the the word companions, um, special friends. We've used all the labels, um, but 
um, in some ways, how people saw me in the past was this, or how I perceived they saw me was this, you know, active LDS guy who's, um, you know, um, maybe trying to get married to a woman. And so, and, and those are some of the things that I publicly said. And so, um, I was really nervous to, to share that I was in this relationship with the people around me, including my family. And so it was about a year after being in this relationship that I felt comfortable to, to share that with my family. And I'll say that was a harder conversation than even coming out, which is saying a lot. And, um, yeah, some emotion just comes up just in, in, in what that experience was like, because there was a lot of fear from, um, from them, which is understandable from their perspective. Um, but it's put, put me in an interesting place because I, um, oddly enough, you know, for the active LDS listeners, um, this is directed to is I do feel like God has been guiding me and has guided me into this relationship. And that can seem confusing. And in some ways I'm still confused by it. <laughs> um, but both Eric and I are active in the church. Um, and we're, we're navigating some interesting water and, um, but I'm very grateful for the time that we've had together and, and for what our relationship has taught me. Um, and, and yeah. And so I feel like I've, um, yeah, really have had to learn to trust the Lord through, through this journey, um, last 10 years, but especially as I, um, enter into places that I never thought I would enter into like a relationship with another guy. So that probably is the biggest update. <laughs> um, here. Um, and, and I guess in addition to that, I, I, I started that business, uh, four and a half years ago and that's continued to evolve into, um, a business that like you mentioned in the intro that specifically helping individuals release shame. And I also primarily work with the gay population. And when I say gay population, it's a simple marketing term. You know, um, I work with people who are bisexual, same-sex attraction or no label, whatever, whatever that um, label is or no label you're most comfortable with. But the idea is, um, and why I feel like it's so important is when you have attractions to the same gender um, growing up in our society historically um, and within the church, um, yeah, it can bring up a lot of shame, just the fact that you experience this. And shame is, um, you know, if you've learned about shame, there's a lot of experts out there like Brene Brown, who's taught us a lot about uh, shame. I've learned a lot from Alan Downs, who's um, written an amazing book, Velvet Rage, about the gay man's experience through shame. Um, but what shame causes us to do is to hide. And um, that hiding, um, in many ways, is a, is a protective mechanism. You know, all the emotions, the ways that our bodies respond to emotions um, can be helpful at different times in our life. But if we keep them there long term, and if it kind of moves past the point of being helpful, um, it can have other effects that are less desirable. 
And what I've noticed with that constant hiding that can happen is we start losing ourselves um, as people. We become what others want us to be. Society wants us to be. We lose ambition. We lose creativity. We lose just, just like taking charge of our life in meaningful and exciting ways. And as I've worked with clients over the years um, and have seen that, and then also on the flip side, being able to see them release shame and be able to um, step into vulnerability, whatever that looks like. Because like I mentioned, creativity is very vulnerable. And so creating um, a life that is exciting and is fulfilling and is one that's your own um, is what's on the other side of shame. And I love the, the correlation because I, at one point was like, ah, I'm not a creative person. And I remember when I was kind of in the, the walls of shame, I, I was really kind of shut down creatively, creatively. And also just like with different things I was actually passionate about and you know, I still have shame and we can go into that <laughs> later if you want, um, about how it's shown up more recently. But, um, as I've released shame and reduced the amount of shame in my life, I mean, my business wouldn't exist today if, if I wasn't able to do that because it's my greatest creative outlet and I'm able to, um, do things in ways that no one else is doing and that excite me and, and it's being true to me. And so, yeah, I know that was a long update, but yeah, that's kind of the work that I'm doing where I've been and just this exciting journey of being gay and, and trying to navigate spirituality and faith. Thanks for that. And that's really a context for the rest of the podcast. This is where I say a prayer listeners that I'm going to ask questions that are in your mind that you want me to ask to will. <laughs> um, and so I do say, I really take this seriously because I, I believe the things that Will has shared and will continue to share will help you. And this is the platform to do that. Thanks for being honest. Thanks for mm -hmm. just your courage to walk the talk, if that's the right lingo, of being vulnerable and honest and authentic. And um, let me go back to... This is a question I've never asked. So if I talk to you right after your mission at 23, 10 years ago, mm -hmm. and here you are, you know, in a, in a relationship, you have a boyfriend. What was your, I've never gone this way before. What would your younger self say to you right now? <laughs> Do you think your younger self would say, Will, you know, you really, this is not what we talked about. Or do you think, I mean, it's sort of a question how we should respond to you at this point, given that you're in a different spot you were a few years ago. And it's part of this this is a leading question. It's part of this idea that I don't want to make you to be the hero one day and the villain the next day, just because your personal story has changed. I want to just see you as the same person mm -hmm. and not, and not change how I see you. So that's kind of a leading question, but talk about that. Yeah. So great question. So when I came back to the church after, um, I was living in San Francisco. Well, when I was living in San Francisco, I just had this like humble realization that I had no idea what I was doing in my life. Kind of like 
well, I'm back in the church. Cause when I came out as gay, I was like, and left the church. I was like, I'm never coming back. Right. Like that wasn't part of the plan. Um, and so a lot of series of unplanned events have kind of been the pattern of my life. And so, um, I would hope my 23 year old self would be open to the possibility of, of whatever is to come because life up to that point has been so unexpected. And, um, I would hope my 23 year old self would trust the 33 year old self, um, that I know how to follow God and I know how to create a life for myself. And, and even if it's unexpected, it doesn't make it bad or wrong. Um, yeah. So that, that's ho- that's how answer. I hope <laughs> I would have perceived that. I love the way you took us back to, I think you were in a, if I'm remembering episode 78, you were in a, an event where you felt an impression to change direction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can talk about that, but I, I've learned listeners to honor, honor personal revelation, not just the one that fits my narrative. Like you got a prompting to come back to church in San Francisco and serve a mission. And now you've got a different prompting to, to date, to be in a relationship with a man, um, a boyfriend, I should say, mm-hmm. and sort of um, hold those personal revelations you're receiving in my eyes in different in a different context. I, what I would try to do is just honor your personal revelation. I don't have the ability to sort of assess your personal revelation and how it fits my worldview. I don't know how you, that's one of the thoughts I'd have. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love just the ability you, you know, with all the work that you do, uh, Papa Osler, that you're able to hold space for, for people to, um, to navigate their life on, on their terms and to seek for revelation, um, that they, um, that they feel. And I think that's such a gift because sometimes we, we think life is black and white. Um, but you know, life is messy. It is that the learning process is a messy process. And that's one of the reasons why we're here in life, according to the LDS faith. And so, um, yeah, like one, a few things I do want to mention, um, right off the bat is, um, you know, I'm, I'm a wellness coach. Um, that's kind of like a, um, I call myself a wellness coach, not just a life coach, because I've, um, I have so many services around wellness, like massage, uh, personal training, um, nutrition coaching. I was a yoga instructor and did that for a year. Um, did that with a, a group of individuals that were primarily gay. We we did these weekly um, yoga classes. Um, yeah, and so I do a lot of things that have to do with wellness, and so that's why I call myself a wellness coach. And I want to help people with their spiritual, mental, physical, social, and environmental self. It's kind of this holistic approach. But anytime people, and this is kind of a projection, people might think with the term coach that 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 person has or thinks he has it all figured out. And so I just want to like make sure that, you know, um, me as a coach, as a life coach or a wellness coach, and me being on this podcast, I'm not on here um, trying to promote my lifestyle or my way of doing things or suggesting that I have things figured out. I have amazing tools. You know, my education and training has 
help me with helping others create the life that they want for themselves, but there's no two lives that look the same. And so I just want to make it clear that I'm not saying I've got it figured out. I'm in the trenches just like everyone else trying to figure this out, especially the road of being gay and LDS. Um, and, and another thing that I think is important to mention is people that are willing to speak out in this space or any space, but especially this one, because it can feel um, very, there's a lot of opinions about, um, about everything in the space. And, and so one thing that I would just invite the listeners, um, and, and something that I try and remember as I look at others is, you know, this is a snapshot, right? When, when this is being recorded and when I've done other public things, those are snapshots of my life, but all of our lives are continuing to unfold and our stories are continuing to um, be written. And so my, my life isn't written. I don't know what next week will look like or tomorrow will look like. God may guide me elsewhere and I have to honor that. And I may not have a, a public you know, venue to be able to share that. So just recognize that I'm just navigating it and maybe tomorrow the decisions I'm making um, today won't be right anymore. So I have to honor that. And that's connected to an idea that I think is really important. And it's this idea around uh, making decisions in your life and making choices. So the word decision, the root of the word decision means to cut off. And, you know, we use these terms interchangeably, but I just want to make a point that sometimes in our minds, we think when we make a decision, like, like, for example, choosing a degree, it's like you've cut off all the other options and you are doing this course and there's no turning back. You are committed for life and this is it versus choices. And, um, choices can be viewed in a more flexible way, whereas you're able to make a choice, get feedback from that choice. And if it's not serving you, or if it's not getting you the results that you like, then you can make another choice. And so there's, there's flexibility. You're not cutting off your options. And I just think that's so valuable. And that's something that I try and do in my life is I'm constantly getting feedback. I'm trying different things. Um, you know, I try not to make mistakes that I may knowingly know will end in heartache, but you know, one of the things that we learn is about this life is to learn for ourselves the difference between good and evil. And, and that's going to require making choices, getting feedback, and hopefully learning the lessons we need to learn so that we can move forward. And so looking at my mess and the series of choices that I'm making right now, positive or negative, you know, I'm, I'm getting feedback and I'm learning from. And I like to believe that everyone's making the best choices according to their understanding and they're learning from it. And so um, with the series of options I have in front of me, I'm making choices and I'm trying to change the choices that aren't serving me and I'm letting the choices that seem to have a benefit stick around. That makes sense.
That was a really good segment, Will. The whole podcast has been great. No one has ever in my lifetime made a distinction between decisions and choices. And I like that. And I love the way you created still wanting to do the best thing with your choices, but you sort of de-shamed choices that didn't work out. Yeah. And I believe that's doctrinally accurate, that we're here as part of our mortal probation to learn and grow. And part of that is making choices. And then the choices that aren't good or um, some choices are sin-related, some are just not the right choice. But I love then, the sh- I worry about the shame that comes into bad choices. Mm-hmm. I think Satan wins not when we make bad choices, but if shame sort of causes us to hide, to use your word, mm-hmm. and disconnect from our heavenly parents and prayer. And so the work you're doing with shame, but the way you've normalized choices, it isn't in, you didn't say eat, be good, be merry, eat, drink, and be merry with your choices. Um, it wasn't that at all. It was a really thoughtful approach to choices. You're still trying to make the right choices, mm-hmm. but you're giving yourself grace to just, this is a journey. And part of learning my journey is to make choices. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I, I did a solo podcast where I spoke to sort of queer Latter-day Saints that are unmarried. And I, I've, one of the things I've invited them to do is you've got these forks in the road, you know, are you going to marry a woman? If you're a gay man, you're going to marry a woman. Are you going to marry a man? Are you going to stay single? And I've invited listeners to generally try to push those forks in the road out past their teens because they probably don't need to decide and to make them when they're just at their very best personal best. So they become faith-based, principle-based decisions versus fear-based or act to be acted upon to use Book of Mormon scripture. And you don't, I think you're a really good example of someone as you're coming to these forks in the road, that is your personal best. doesn't mean you won't be your even more your personal best than another 10 years, but you're making faith-based decisions. I don't sense this as a response to a community telling you how to do this, or there's so many voices coming to you to tell you how to live your life that I think you're in a spot where you're okay hearing people's thoughts, and you're okay for input, but this is me talking to you listeners, not just Will. But you're also very self-determined in my choices. And I, I'm in a good place spiritually, emotionally, physically that I can make choices on my own terms and own those choices. And they're really faith-based choices. And I think that's a great framework for just not to everybody's, you know, some will come to those forks in the road earlier than early 30s. And it's not to say, you're, you're really careful. Don't take my story and make it your story. The purpose of this podcast is for you, if you're queer, and I'm using that term more and more, to listen to a lot of stories as you better write your story. Mm-hmm. And so that's just, I love your point about choices. So I'll turn it back to you. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like as far as that feedback goes around choices, where I get a ton of feedback is from the Spirit. And so I I do listen to the Holy Ghost and and to God. And, and that's often the place and what I value as far as the feedback goes. I get feedback in other ways too, in, tan- in other tangible ways. But um, for those who, you know, um, you know, can recognize that those spiritual promptings, that can be a valuable feedback tool in knowing one way or another, you know, if that's a, a choice that's that's going to be 
good or or not so great. So um, yeah, that's that's definitely something that um, has helped me. And and then kind of build confidence in that, right? You build confidence in your feedback tools, whether it's the spirit or or different gut feelings that you get, or sometimes you get the full results of making choices like, oh, that was really bad or that was that was great. Got great results from that. Talk about, I want to get to your business and kind of, we're about halfway through the podcast, so I want to make sure to get to that. But talk about, and we talked about this earlier, so you've got a boyfriend. That could lead to, you know, a same-sex marriage leaving the church. And so some might say, well, Will, why even open that door? Because that path leads to a, a different path and, and, and closes doors that are open for you right now in your life, like fully participating in the church. How do you, how do you, what do you say to people that say that to you? If you're okay answering that question. Yeah. Well, I get all of the, the fear around it. Um, you know, when I, told my family about Eric and, and our situation, um, there was a lot of fear in their response. And, um, and I have had to um, check myself and be like, you know, am, am I deceived or is this, is this really, you know, where God wants me to go and, and is this right? And so, um, yeah, there's been a lot of thoughtfulness through this whole process. And, and so when people, you know, hear my story and react to it, I, I have complete like understanding of from where they're coming from. And um, I may have responded the same way if I wasn't in the situation that I'm in. Um, but how I see it is... Um, yeah, there's a lot of experiences to have in this life. And we are all supposed to learn different things um, based on our spiritual identity and what what more mortality is supposed to be for us. And right now in my life, I feel God is leading me to the experience of um, really close, intimate relationship with another person and being able to learn the some of the lessons that are involved with that, um, loving someone, sacrificing, um, just caring for someone in a deep way. You know, we're told that it's not good for man to be alone. And I, I know that some people won't get married or won't ever get into a relationship. And, you know, prior to meeting Eric, I thought maybe that might be the case for me. Um, so I know that God can support his children who don't get into relationships, but clearly there's a, a lot of value that can be had in a relationship um, with anyone. And, and this can, you know, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. Um, it can be a close friendship. There's many types of relationships where these lessons can be learned. And for me, um, God knows me and he's led me um, to be in this situation. And I've seen over the last two and a half years, I've learned some really valuable and important lessons. And, and I've learned to love, which um, I've never loved as much as I've loved Eric. And so, um, so some really beautiful life experiences that I'm grateful for. And, and, and I do feel like 
yeah, again, those experiences are so valuable and it's going to look different for every single person. It's a really good answer. And listeners, the more I, you know, I just love the principle of letting people choose and then own their decisions. I would go back in my church assignments and probably be less prescriptive and more principle-based and help people. I would always invite people to follow church teachings. I'd extend that invitation to everybody listening. I'd also say you've got to really own your own life and own your own decisions, and they can't be my decisions for you that you don't fully own. I think we do better when we fully own our life decisions. Some of those decisions may take us to a different path than fully participate in the church. And if that happens, I'll just say, I'll walk with you. I won't know what that means eternally. I won't sort of think your eternal family's lost or your eternal future has changed. I recognize you're not living church teachings, but I'll just say, I'll walk with you. And my job is to preserve the relationship and support you. And that's the way I navigate it, listeners. And I've shared that over. Um, but I really like the idea of people owning their own decisions. And I just think we do better. And sometimes I would go back as a church leader and probably would be, you know, I probably have enough, you know, I'm even thinking of, this is a complete tangent, Will, but married couples that go to their priesthood leader. And I think I've never been a bishop of a married ward, but I think my natural instinct would be do everything I could to keep the couple together. And I think I would do differently now. Yeah, I'd want the couple to stay together. They both shared that goal but I would be open that they need to make the right decision for their marriage. And that may in some cases be splitting up. And I haven't failed as a priesthood leader because someone in my ward split up because it may be the right choice for them and me sort of injecting my will into the middle of their personal revelation. I've always felt, I guess that's the core of what I'm trying to say is my personal will my personal preference or my personal getting in the between somebody and their personal revelation, I, w- I would want to not do that. Even as a priestly or a parent, I'd probably, I'd always invite someone to follow church teachings, but I'd say, you got to make a principle-based decision and you got to do based on faith and not fear. And when you're your personal best to, if these are crossroad type of things, you know, these forks in the road we've described, I think for our celibate members, gay men and women that feel their path is to not have a partner and fully participate in the church, they even do better when they really see personal revelation that this is my path. I've been called to do this. Ben Shalati might be an example of that. And I guess his story could change sometime, but versus sort of forced and say, this is the only, and I don't think that's as healthy as really feeling called or personal revelation and so anyway, that's a little bit of my thoughts, but um, I don't know if you got any more on that or we yeah. can pivot to your business. Well, I think there's a strong connection. And if with there's your... anything you don't agree with, please share that too. Well, and it's, I, no, I, th- I, I love what you just shared. And I, I do feel like um, when we fully own our, our lives, um, it's just a different experience entirely. And again, Connecting back to shame and the effects of shame causing us to hide parts of ourselves. And, and ultimately, when we're hiding parts of ourselves, becoming what other people want to see, uh, the cardboard cutouts of the versions that people seem to like, but that's not maybe truly who we are. And so we, we can, in those instances, become what, what's termed split. We can split ourselves. And, um, 
basically living a double life, right? And and unfortunately, that's pretty common um, in the gay experience, um, whether you know, at different stages of the coming out process, when you're in the closet, you know, no one can know. And so um, if you want to explore that side of yourself, then, you know, you have to do that in secrecy and in hiding. And yeah, all of it, again, it's feedback. It's like, okay, you can keep living like that, but you know, like what, what's the cost of that? And the cost is not truly owning your life. And and until uh, um, people feel comfortable owning their life, they, they will be limited in how they'll be able to change it and affect it. And I think about um, the prodigal son and, and even my own experience, because we all, we all are examples of the prodigal son. When I came out as gay, when I was you know, a teenager, and 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 then kind of took ownership of my spirituality and my life that you know and part of that was leaving the church at the time and until i was fully owning that um i i feel like i wouldn't have learned the lessons that i learned which actually ended up me coming back to church that's not everyone's story but that was my story and like the prodigal son, you know, he finally was able to do what he wanted to do with his life. He was empowered by getting the father's, you know, inheritance. And then he was able to actually get the feedback that that was needed for his personal growth. And so when we're in this place of split or living a double life because of shame, I think the, the feedback gets skewed. I, I feel like it's hard to know anything. From that place because we're just not we're living life on other people's terms and giving feedback that we don't even want because it's not our life and so yeah it's it's again it's so critical and there's so many ways to release shame um kind of connecting to what i the actual work that i do with my clients with with wellness coaching um yeah so there's there's many ways and um some ways that we explore um me and the clients that I work with, you know, wherever they're at, if they are, you know, if they're in the closet or um, if they're newly out, you know, there could be some um, vulnerability, kind of stepping into vulnerability that can be helpful for them. Again, reversing the hiding to shining lights on different parts of ourselves. So I call that shame reductive sharing. So there can be opportunities um, where we can share parts of ourselves with others. That's, that's good. That's one way. I think that's good. Yeah, that's one way. Um, it, it is very powerful. Um, but yeah, there's there's lots of ways. Um, I I use specific techniques on on releasing shame. Uh, it's called timeline therapy, and and basically, um, it's helping people learn the lessons that they need to learn from shame and other uh, emotions. And so, um, when we learn the lessons, when we learn what shame protecting us from, we go back and, and look, okay, you felt threatened to, to be discovered, to be found out, or something in your life is causing you to, to, to run and hide. Um, it brought up 
probably like a survival instinct, which shame does, you know, if, if we tap into it, it's like, oh, you know, it, it's a really intense feeling. It can be. And if we can go back to the root of that and, and basically honor the shame, we, we don't have to be enemies with shame. We can honor it. It was protecting. It was protecting you. That's actually really beautiful. It was getting emotional again. Um, it was keeping you alive in some cases. Wow. And however, there's a much better life on the other side of shame. And, and when we can honor that shame and let it go and step into vulnerability, step into being seen, um, often reducing shame requires some level of validation from others. And that's why, you know, what you do here, Papa Osler is so incredible because it is healing to share your story, to be on your podcast now twice. It's healing for me. It really is. And for the 600 plus people that you've worked with, like sharing your story is healing to shine light on our stories. And so, um, you can contact Richard Osler <laughs> to be on a show or find many other ways to, to, to share parts of yourself with others is important. Ultimately, though, we, we want to be self-validating. We don't want to rely on external validation. Most of us are going to need that, like training wills. Um, but if we can get to a place where we are self-validating, that's, that's, we, are, we are good and enough and whole. And we don't need anyone to tell us that. And that's a really amazing place to be. We just, we exude that. It's in us. And that comes with time. And that comes with sharing, 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 and testing the waters. And maybe connecting a dot for me personally, being in this relationship with Eric has helped heal wounds that, that were there, some shame wounds. You know, my, my last boyfriend prior to Eric was, relationship I had in San Francisco a long time ago. I had only really two boyfriends in my life. And that other relationship ended really poorly. And um, I did a lot of work over the years, but I feel like this relationship with Eric has healed some areas of wounds from that first relationship that really needed. So again, our, our lives are messy and they're, they're like specific combinations and experiences that we need to have to unlock our hearts and to release the emotional baggage that, that we're storing. That was a really good segment. Um, I wrote down some things. Maybe you listeners wrote some of the same things down. Life is much better on the other side of shame. Um, but we eventually need to the point to get to the point of self-validating. Yeah. That's a really thoughtful place to be in. Um, as you're talking, I get these PhD hypotheses in my mind that, <laughs> you know, I'm not a PhD student, but I think of these things, just the, this, you could have just gone to school and become a wellness coach. And I think you'd be good. But since you have this personal life story, that has caused that has stretched you immensely. This isn't just theoretical for you. This is your life mixed in with 
the skills you have as a wellness coach to heal people. Yeah. It's, it's really wonderful. Well, and I think there's a lot of individuals in this space that have chosen careers yeah. like therapy, therapist, and things like it because they, you know, I think a lot in this community, the gay community or queer community have really, um, they've lived this and they're able to now give back. And that's, that is kind of that healing circle. It is healing for me to sit across from a client and help them release shame. And some of it is, you know, like, ah, I I can resonate with that one. And it's neat to experience that. I learned from all of my clients and I think, you know, there's a, a phrase, I don't, I actually don't love it, but you get the idea. Your your misery is your ministry. And why I don't love it is because being gay isn't miserable for me. But the idea is like where your pain is, that that's where your passion can be. Or And there's something beautiful about our lived experiences. And sometimes I, I you know, when I question why God has given me this experience, it's like, you know, I, I can now speak to something that I will probably wouldn't have been able to speak to if I didn't experience being gay. And so it does make life, it, it, it provides greater meaning when you can give back. And I'm grateful that my experiences and my journey, it's been a long journey. I've done a lot of therapy, a lot of coaching. I've done a lot of retreats. I've done a lot of things that have all helped me and taught me different things. And I like to now be able to pay that forward and, and give people um, similar experiences and and learnings. And um, what, what I think is unique and and really neat about my business and how I've structured it. And tell us your website and we'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah. So it's my name. So www.willedgel.com. And yeah, you can learn more about what I'm doing. Um, you can book a session. Um, I'd invite you to join my email list. I'll be sharing a lot of great content um, on there and I'll be um, blog posts and events and different things. So be sure to connect with me there. Um, and then there's an events tab as well. Um, as I've mentioned in the past um, with the music nights and the yoga, um, God has, for whatever reason, um, put me in spaces to help gather and to unify people. And I um, continue feel continue to feel led in that area. And so um, I have a lot of events that I will be doing um, this next year and beyond. Um, some will be free. Some um, will have a cost like retreats that I'll be doing. And um, yeah, I think it's important that, that we, um, we get together and that we have community and support in, in whatever that looks like. We're, we're just stronger as we work together and as we um, support one another. And, and that's an area that I also um, developed understanding about the need for it. Um, as I've talked to many clients on what it is they feel like they need in their life. And the number one thing has been community. Um, it may, you know, maybe people are able to get out and date, but, um, community is different. Um, uh, a, a found family or a place where they can be heard and can relate to and in vulnerable ways. Um, so I've tried to create that. Um, I'd encourage you to also connect with, you know, I'd love to refer people to other 
resources that are out there. And um, I'm always um, kind of collaborating and, and bringing together the resources that are available so people can get the help that they need. But yeah, so that's the, um, those are some ways that people can g- connect with me. Um, also, Instagram, I do a lot on social media. Will underscore Edgel is my handle for that. But yeah, it's um, it's it's such an exciting uh, work to be a part of, and to to help people um, release the the pain from the past. Um, but what I was saying, just about what I really am excited about. And what makes my whole process pretty unique is um, kind of this holistic wellness, again, that wellness coaching phrase. So after you kind of clear out the past and, you know, reduce shame, right? We probably all have a little bit of shame. (laughs) Um, You know, I don't know if we can fully get rid of it. Um, The goal is is to get there, but um, probably deal with that. In one way or another, um, but what's exciting when you can start fully owning your life and moving forward in your life with kind of being self-validating and confident, and you know, living in the light. Um, you know, you can you can create a vision for your future that's really compelling and exciting for you. And so, um, I help people also explore their spiritual self, their mental self, physical, social, and environmental. So I like to, we're not just dealing with the past, but I like to move people forward in their lives to build a life that, that really is exciting for them. And so, yeah, I love that journey that, that I walk with clients and, um, yeah, if, if you're open and interested in, in maybe meeting, I offer discovery calls. So a free conversation over zoom and we'll talk and see if we're a good fit um like i said i have a network of people who i collaborate with and so if i'm not a good fit i'll send you to i'll refer you to someone else um and i can also meet um with anyone anywhere in the world so you know zoom is amazing so um it's great to live in this time when we can do that I love that you've called it, you know, yourself a gay men's wellness coach for a couple of reasons. One is I think it reduces shame. This whole podcast, whenever you've talked about your identity, just looking at you, you never look down, you never embarrassed. You just, it's just a fact that you're gay and your business is a gay men's wellness coach. And I think you model non-shaming just the way you talk about your life story and your orientation. Being a marketing guy, I like target marketing. <laughs> Um, so I think it's really smart, you know, that you're a gay men's wellness coach so that you're, um, targeting the queer community. I'm using that term more and more just to, and, and I think you talked about how you're more than just helping gay men. It felt very vulnerable to, you know, as I was contemplating how I would market myself to, to fully connect my name. So if you search my name, Will Edgel, gay man's wellness coach. So that's kind of my boldest move yet is like, wow, like, you know, like Will Edgel and gay, it's, 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 it's on the internet. Like it's, it's connected in my marketing and that was a vulnerable, um, move, but it just felt right. And, and yeah, I'm like not messing around. I want to help the gay population, the queer community. And if I'm, if I'm watered down, how can I expect others to show up fully? 
That was spontaneous and another powerful one-liner. If I'm watered down, how can I help expect them to show up fully? Yeah. What a powerful principle for all of us, just to be authentic with who we are. Now, listeners, I'll be honest. If I had heard a gay men's wellness coach and events and even massage therapy, I would. this is my younger self, and I don't want to be triggering to anybody. I would thought this is just a big cover for hooking up. <laughs> um, this isn't that. I don't know if you want, if anybody's thinking what I th- would have thought five, 10 years ago before I met this community, would, what would you say to people that are thinking that? Is that okay? Is it triggering to even suggest that? <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that you asked that. Um, again, going back to like what the real needs are. And I know there's just a lot of needs in general, but one of the needs is community. And so there are different venues for getting community, but there's still an, a void that's not being filled. And not to say I'm, I'm getting it all, but, um, but I want to help with that. So I think there has been a fear in the past with you know, different groups, especially like connected to the church. I'm yeah. like, oh, there's become a hookup front. And um, what I would say is we're all adults and I'm not interested in micromanaging adults. Um, we have an opportunity to create something really neat and really inspiring and positive. You know, I have a vision board night coming at the end of this month. I have a book club coming in or coming up. And, and these are like really like I intentionally try and create a positive, it's like positive content. People can make it whatever they want, you know? And um, I'm just going to play my role in, in the process and, and hope for the best. Um, I'm also, again, people want to make choices, they'll get feedback. It's, it's neat what happens when you start bringing people together. <laughs> Let me just say something. So it's funny and I'm not, you know, I'm not calling anyone out, but I've had conversations with people with my yoga. I had, you know, the yoga night once a week. I had, I had conversations with people. It's like, I would totally go, but I'm afraid to go because I might see someone I hooked up with or had a bad, you know, interaction with. And in a way, creating community provides some accountability too. And it, it's just, you know, hopefully as we come together more as a community in whatever way that looks like, and we run into each other at the grocery store or whatever, it's just like, you know, like you may run into this person, you may run into these people that um, you're interacting with. And so I think community is great because it provides that accountability and yeah. And, and, you know, like-minded individuals who are seeking, you know, to build positive interactions with other people. I hope I attract. Um, so in a way it's an experiment and I'll get feedback and maybe I'll have to do something differently, (laughs) but yeah, we're trying some things, but my experience from the past with what I've, how I've been involved, it's been very positive. Good. Talk to once in a while. I'll get a phone. I'm thinking of a phone call I got from, can't even remember what state, but he said, I'll never be on your podcast. And I said, Why? He says, I'm never coming out. And I just feel that's my path to never come out. 
And so that, that that's somebody that might listen to a podcast, but it's not going to do a Zoom interview with you or come to anything. Might sign up for your email. And it's, how do you take, and that person still may want to reduce shame. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not, I don't know, you know, but talk to somebody who just, talk to somebody about how to take shame out even if they feel they're not going to come out, is that possible? I think that's kind of a, I don't know if you've been asked that question before. Yeah, totally. Like shame, shame can show up in many ways, right? In our lives, not just with the experience of being gay. And so there are many areas of our lives that we can release that shame. Um, Without coming out. Can you release the shame and the hiding without coming out? Got talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, there's lots of ways to do life. And some may call it shame. Some may like project on that person like, oh, that's shame. They may not be coming from a place of shame. Maybe they just, you know, maybe it's just not something that bothers them. From like a coaching standpoint, how I work with people is I work on specific areas of their life that they would consider a problem. And until someone recognizes that there's a problem with a a factor in their life, then we don't have content. And so it's only a shame is shame is only a problem. If you recognize that it's a problem, it may still be serving you. And in that case, you may need it for survival. But once you can recognize in any of your any area or aspect of your life that this is a problem, then it's like, ah, we can we can work on something. And so that's what I'll ask people. And they'll kind of sometimes give me the look of like, don't you know? They'll they'll bring up like some like dramatic, awful thing. And I ask them, well, how's that a problem? Are you are, is it a problem because other people are telling you it's a problem? Or it's like, like, are there shoulds connected to that? But once I ask, actually ask them, it's like, well, how is that a problem? Until they see that, then it doesn't, there, there needs to be momentum to actually create change in your life. And so to step into vulnerability, for example, it's often going to require the toll of shame. And it's like, ah, I can't live like this anymore. I cannot live a split person. I cannot live not showing up. And once that happens, then it's like, ah, vulnerability. And vulnerability could mean coming out. It could also mean just being more, you know, when people ask you how you're doing, you tell them how you're really doing. And so, yeah, there's not, it's, it's not a set formula. Um, it's not, again, it's not black and white. Um, they're trends. I would say for a lot of people, they'd probably benefit from coming out and that would reduce shame for them. But I can't say that a hundred percent. Once again, that was a really thoughtful principle-based answer. It wasn't a yes or no. You don't give yes or no answers. <laughs> but, um, Life is, is not that simple. So I think that's a really thoughtful skill you have of giving principle-based answers. And, and that's very empowering to listeners and to the people you work with. And I, I thought about that guy that called a couple of years ago or a year ago, and I thought, you know, you can probably be authentic and not out. Um, I probably generally encourage anybody to come out to your heavenly parents. Um, 
I, although I would be, I'd probably say, I'd probably back up on that a little bit and go more year route as use a principle-based approach without a firm. So I probably said that in the past and listening to you, I'd probably say, consider that because that may help you just reduce shame because you'll feel how your parent, heavenly parents feel about you. And, and perhaps that just is take, if there's no, and to your point, if there's no shame in the first place, then there's nothing to fix. <laughs> right. That was really thoughtful. Right. And, and I'm not in the business of like trying to like make people recognize how, how much shame they have or, or the problems in their life. I want people, like people know their problems, right? Most of us do. If, if everything is great, then awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. And so I don't, I don't necessarily want to like pull up things that, that they aren't willing or wanting to address. And so, yeah. And, and so, I mean, it, it really is as all therapy and coaching, I believe should be is client led. You know, it's, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm going to help you get the results that you want in your life. And, and that's where my role as a coach is so important to be completely neutral. And, you know, I share my story publicly like this. Um, and I've done it in the past, part of me gets a little bit nervous about, you know, certain segments of the population that will get turned off from my, you know, what I have to say and be like, oh, yeah, he's still part of the church or he's in a relationship with a guy, have nothing to do with him. And that's fine. I honor that. Um, but I also want people to know that like, I, I, I can be complete. I am neutral when it comes to um, working with someone. And even just like in my interpersonal relationships, it's like, yeah, I care about people and I have opinions, but if I really want them to um, live a life that they're fully owning and, and that they can navigate and learn the lessons like we've talked about um, today, it's like I gotta, I gotta honor where they're at and honor how they feel they should go with their life. And I, and you know, it very rarely I feel works when when you're like preaching at someone or telling them what to do. It's like no, they gotta figure it out themselves. And so it's like I, I help them, I help individuals, I support individuals where they're at and honor if 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 they're like. I'm fine, you know, being in the closet or I'm fine um, where I'm at in life. I thought of your professional role and you've got a personal story and the burden of a straight person, the same professional role doesn't have that burden. So if you were on the podcast route talking about your straight men's wellness coach, <laughs> you need to name it that. You just call us no. a woman coach. Yeah. And you, everybody would assume you're straight. And let's just say you're straight. No one would be wondering about your backstory as a straight man. Are you single? Are you married? It wouldn't change. So it's just kind of the, I'm just sensitive to the ad, added burden that our queer friends walk because professionally in this case, you've got people that won't just, you know, that reject you just because of your personal story. Why a straight therapist wouldn't have that generally. And I just invite us all to extend more grace and for people's individual stories and recognize the courage that you have to share your story because you're right. And I wanted to ask you this question as the part of that statement. Before you go there, can I just say one thought yes. before um, it leaves me? Um, 
that shame that that seems to be more predominant in the gay experience. And it's kind of like, because we are often led to hide, it is, it is maybe there more or just it's more apparent. Um, I, the, the, the thing that's coming to my mind is in some ways that can be a gift. And because the reality is everyone has shame. Everyone does. And I think Brene Brown says you're a, Brene Brown says you're a sociopath if you have shame, according to her. Um, but basically, we are kind of forced to deal with it in some ways. Interesting. And in being kind of confronted with shame, we have less options. And the tragedy is That's interesting. Some people are overtaken by shame and go really into dark places. And that's that's the tragedy of it. On the other hand, though, because we are kind of forced to deal with it, we can be liberated and live a more authentic, authentic life. And I, it kind of saddens me because I know like what I'm offering and other um, resources that I've experienced, I know the straight world needs. Yeah. We all need. Um, and maybe it's less apparent, so it's less like a priority, but we would all be better if we, if we confronted it. Um, so it could be a gift in a way that's like, well, <laughs> in our mortal experience, we're kind of having to deal with it more. And so, um, so yeah, on the other side, it is a gift, but not all of us get to the other side is the tragic. Would you accept straight clients? I do. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, for sure. I, that's another sort of PhD hypothesis you <laughs> set up that would be fascinating because that's something that I've sensed is the personal work that queer members have had to do really early because they haven't, all the nice boxes haven't checked in all the right order. Yeah. And so they've had to work really hard and there's, that's can be really difficult. Yeah. And can be dark and hard, but it can lead to really healthy places like you're in. And then, you know, I read this quote a lot, listeners, but I'm going to read it right now. Is it's the wounded healer by Henry Norwin. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to thinking others can be led out of a desert by someone who's never been there. So you're a, a wellness coach, but you're a wounded healer. Yeah. And what a gift then that is to be able to, and I'm sure it brings you great peace to see people make progress, de shaming. Yeah. And moving forward. And it's a gift. And so, but it comes with a lot of personal work. Yeah. But the other thing that I've noticed as part of my PhD hypothesis is the younger queer members seem to be getting where you are quicker. Um, and I call you younger at early 30s versus some, you know, I just sense an improvement in de-shaming and feeling at peace with who they are. Yeah. And yeah. I'm glad about that. And it's Partly credit to people like you and others that are helping us understand this space. Well, thank God for the internet, right? I feel <laughs> like that's uh, that's helped a lot. I mean, it's done a lot of other things, but we've been able to connect. We've been able to talk about things and find that validation um, in community. Where when before the internet, we were we all thought we were alone, and so um, yeah. And and who knows? I I do feel like you know, the next generation, um, they're just amazing people too. And, and just maybe willing to, um, 
you know, we're kind of all building off of each other's work, you know, our, our, those who came before us. And so it's nice to see that, that people are becoming even more shame resilient than, than in the past. So it's, it's encouraging to see that. I haven't talked much about the atonement and I've always felt um, the atonement, this doesn't mean we don't need therapists. I love the idea we need Jesus and therapists, but, and, and we probably don't have time to go on this, but go on this, but I just, I also think the atonement can help us heal um, from pains that have come into our life that aren't sin related pains. They're just woundingness of mortality. And there's probably more woundingness that comes in the life of queer members versus straight members. That's, not sure that's true, but that's been my experience listening to stories. So I think Jesus can help you. There's a scripture that says he descended below all things. So I think there's a doctrinal foundation that he understands the road you're walking. You know, there may no be no scripture example that directly points to you, but that principle points to you and I think can give you hope. And just a thought about de-shaming. And then I want to turn it to you for final comments is my I remember when I came home. My wife says, assignment one night late. My wife says, what do you think you really do in all those interviews? And I said, you know, I think I'm just de-shaming the YSAs. And actually, I like your word a little bit better, releasing shame. But I think the more I understood the gospel of Jesus Christ and heavenly parents and our plan of salvation, the Savior, the more I recognize that one of the biggest stumbling blocks for members of our church is shame. Yeah. And, and. Anybody that can help people release shame just leads to the things you've talked about and the things you're doing. So thank you for the work you're doing. And I'll turn it to you, Will, for any final comments. Yeah, I love I love that you brought it to Jesus. And certainly, as I've worked on healing and seeking to become um, my full potential, and, and as that continues to unravel, as I continue to discover who I truly am, you know, Jesus has been there every step of the way. And, um, although how I work with clients is completely neutral, in, True. you know, cause I deal with people from all backgrounds. Um, I do, there is a, um, as I mentioned, I, I help people kind of in those five areas of wellness, one of them being spirituality. And it, it is, it is so, um, powerful to see people kind of reclaim their spirituality, especially if they have left the church or wherever they're at. Um, but what I would invite anyone, no matter where they're at is to consider, um, what Jesus represents, the love that he represents. And in my case, you know, an actual belief in this all loving being that, um, you know, one of his names is, you know, the light of life. And as we think about perhaps the most powerful um, shame reductive interventions um, would be shining the light that comes from the savior onto our lives. And, um, and he can heal us. He can heal us. And sometimes he, you know, provides additional tools to help us along that path of healing. Um, but I definitely would echo what you have shared. Just, um, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, um, it's powerful. He, his um, life and what he represents is pure love. And I hope that uh, my queer, I love that, that label as well, because it kind of, it's all encompassing. Um, I hope my queer um, brothers and sisters can feel the Savior's love, especially when they're not feeling it from many other sources.
Thank you, Will Edgel. Please go to willedgel.com and check out some of the resources. But I'm really glad you've been on the podcast today. Your voice is really a steady, thoughtful, helpful voice in this space. So Will Edgel and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>